welcome to the Two World Podcast, where you can hear thoughts and reflections on unique intersections between faith and culture. Tune in regularly for this foray into feelings of surprise and interconnectedness and aha moments in life when two worlds come together. Now join your hosts, Barney and Jacob, for this most recent episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast, the Two World Podcast. My name is Ken, and I'm I'm once again feeling quite privileged to be part of this podcast this morning. Today, we are going to dissect and uh, take a look at another Northern Exposure television show episode. Those of you that know the program will find um, that this was a very unique episode and filled with great humor, and we look forward to telling you all about it. I'd like to introduce the co-hosts of the Two World Podcast. First, from the country of Japan, we have... Yeah, you guys can call me Barney. My voice isn't sounding the same as usual, but it it really is me. (laughs) And from Worcester, Ohio, we have... I'm... Jacob. And again, we welcome all of you and hope you will enjoy this episode of the Two World Podcast. Yeah, so this was, a, as as Ken said, a very unique episode uh, full of uh, lots of erratic behavior. <laughs> um, and when I was watching it, I don't know the characters as well as Barney and Ken do, but I think I know them well enough to say this in a lot of ways was out of character for the normal personalities. So um, it's going to be really interesting today to delve into why we think that is and what it signifies. And so I, I didn't know if you had a question to get us started, Barney, because I know you had sent some really good questions out by email. So maybe we'll turn it over to you. Yeah, actually, um, the first question that 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 came to mind or the question I thought would be fun to start off with, um, especially for you, for you, Jacob, how did you feel about so um, I think Ken and I told you that maybe this is one of our favorites, you know, top 10, top five list. It has quite a start. How the the cold open is one of their usual, you know, Northern Exposure likes to bring dreams into play a lot. And we start off, we don't know it maybe necessarily that this one is a dream, but we start off in a dream. And when you started this episode, Jacob, what what were you thinking? Because it it's quite... And, and, you know, it harkens to the Bible a little bit, but it takes quite a turn. And I'm just curious as to your reaction. What did you think of the scene itself? And then what were you thinking for the rest of the show, just based on how it got started? Well, from the very get-go, I was definitely surprised. And I was trying to, I was puzzled. I was trying to figure out what was going on. And it was interesting though. And it does remind me of some of the past episodes where we have talked about dreams characters have. So I didn't know if it was a dream scenario, but can you unpack a little bit just by way of summary for our listeners, just the scene, that opening scene, just a few of the broad brushstrokes? Yeah, sure. Um, So it starts off with um, Maggie and Joel. And as far as we know, at this point of the season, they are very cold toward each other. They, um, you know, we we think that 
during the the course of the first season, you know, there's one episode where where Maggie finds herself a, a little bit interested in Joel, and then she realizes what a slime bag he is as he's trying to sell some land to help someone get a tax write off, and then and then it just really goes from there. And so, in this sir, this episode, we see Maggie and Joel, and they're being nice to each other, and they're in kind of paradise and they're sharing an apple together and it's it's a red apple but it's supposed to be a pippin i'm not sure i've never had a pippin before but i guess pippins are supposed to be green and we see a little bit of their contention as their contentious relationship as joel kind of argues the point about it and then he agrees with her and then after they both take a bite of the apple um they go from fully clothed selves to um you know we don't see but um completely um the day that they were born selves. And we find out that this um, was a dream and it really just sets us up for what is this episode going to be about and how is it going to go? Because we see Maggie wakes up and she's, you know, a little bit in consternation from having had a dream about this person who she's very indifferent toward. And um, just what a way to get right. the show started because you would you would never see anything like that on another show i don't think and then the the segue into the uh predominant music for the episode uh from lindsey buckingham from fleetwood mac um the words basically are if we go insane but um as barney and i discussed um off camera a while ago the actual name of the song is the dw suite which without researching it it doesn't seem to fit the theme of the song at all, but um, he had uh, Lindsey Buckingham had written this um, as a as a tribute to a deceased uh, member of the Beach Boys, Dennis Wilson, thus the DW. But uh, perfect music once again, and yeah, what a lead in, what a lead in. And then we go to, you know, then we go to Chris in the morning, who has proclaimed the. Uh, the madness is all around us and and he howls into the microphone and I, it's hard to remember barney and jacob the first time watching these episodes at times but um i i swear i remember thinking this one's gonna be a lot of fun <laughs> and it was mm -hmm. yeah and it, it's interesting too that chris's segment and then we go through the episode and in the backdrop is this phenomenon, this natural phenomenon of the ice cracking. Mm -hmm. And um, everybody keeps talking about it. And it's almost like they're waiting to regain their sanity after the <laughs> ice has concluded. Um, do you know anything about that? Have you ever heard of that phenomenon before about the ice cracking and, and how that works? Or I had not until the show, Barney. I, I hadn't either. And then once Jacob started to ask or to put, to um, mention that point, then I thought, Oh, I should have researched about this because I, I wonder too, if maybe, you know, cause this is Sicily, Alaska, which is, you know, hundreds of miles from every other town in Alaska. So we don't, but also very close to every other town. So we don't quite know where they are on the map. Are they in the Arctic circle? Are they nearer to Anchorage or Juneau? We don't know. Are they in the Aleutians? We're not sure. So um, I wonder if it's in the far Arctic circle area, is there this kind of groaning of the ice that you hear when spring is on the way? I don't know. Maybe it's possible because um, you would think that, that 
um, there is this kind of release once it gets warm enough for, um, you know, snow to start drifting down the mountains or whatever, or, um, you know, ice to start breaking free and um, into the into the sea, I guess, maybe. I would think very possible. The water's moving, it just is under, <laughs> and then you get the crack. Mm -hmm. and. <laughs> well, it's so interesting because a lot of the natives are pretty much used to this phenomenon of people feeling erratic and acting crazy mm -hmm. <laughs> during this transition. But Dr. Fleischman certainly does not know what's going on and is still trying to <laughs> wrap his head around that and his own kind of um, confusion. And it's interesting, um, there was that opening segment with the dream and then various times, at various times throughout the rest of the episode, there are these daydreams or other times for Dr. Fleischman in particular. And it's it's interesting how they revolve around Maggie. And um, it's clear that they're, they're, they can't live with each other, but they can't live without each other, at least at this oh, point yeah. in this um, season. So they definitely are drawn to each other, but it just can never seem to work. So... Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, what did you think about the the stealing of the radios? Did that get your attention? Because that seemed to be another interesting subplot throughout the episode. Well, Jacob, let me ask you, because obviously Barney and I already knew who the <laughs> perpetrator was. It, did you try to guess who was doing it? I did, and I couldn't I couldn't think mm -hmm. of who it could be. I was very surprised, spoiler alert, yeah. that it was Chris <laughs> at the end. <laughs> I mean, I, I I don't know if we can say spoiler alert for a, a show that's been around this long, but might, <laughs> might as well. <laughs> but yeah, that that he would be, I mean, he was howling into the microphone at the beginning and saying, really, we need to embrace this crazy feeling. And so that was his way, I guess, of living that out and doing that. Um, I had remembered from another episode, the one character who was reclusive and living in the woods, I forget what they called him, but he would oh, steal Adam. Adam. Yes. He would take, um, was it cookbooks? Mm -hmm. Is that what he took? Uh -huh. And certain uh -huh. like cookware. <laughs> uh -huh. So I had like in my mind, this spot for somebody stealing mm -hmm. things, but, but um, no, when I found out it was Chris, I was very surprised. Yeah. So. And, there, and there's a, and there's another thief that emerges later in the series. Um, it's, it's a, a minor, he's a minor character. Um, Hayden, Barney, is that, am I getting the name right? Oh yeah. Um, mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and he, he, um, he does some bad things. Um, but as a minor character, again, you try to guess and, and I'll admit, I did not guess Chris when I first saw it. Um, it's, you know, as a segue from the stealing, you know, now we have Ed, the detective, um, who's yeah. going to figure this out. And, his conversation with Joel when he thinks he's really got it narrowed down and he's got it narrowed down to what did he call it? Uh, scattered randomness. And, and Joel, of <laughs> yeah. course, being Joel says, there's no pattern here, Ed. There's no pattern here. Exactly. Dr. Fleischman. Exactly. Scattered randomness. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's go to the next scene. <laughs> oh, Ed. I love how he, he keeps belaboring the point. <laughs> Again, yeah. at random, <laughs> <laughs> and then when and then when he confronts Chris, you know, I, yes. I've got it. I figured it out. Well, how did you know, Ed? How did you know? 
while there was a chewed pencil in the in the back seat of the car and then, <laughs> I kind of and, and, and uh and I saw you take one yes I like how they they led up to that. So you know, well, I noticed that all of them, you know, were Japanese except for yeah, two. Essentially and, useless and electronics. It, yeah, yeah. I found this Ticonderoga pencil, <laughs> and you know, like Chris says, that's the most common pencil in the world. And he's like, you got all of this from a pencil, and I saw you take the tape deck out of so and so's truck during the fight. So bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! Well, I like how the theft of the radios precipitates the calling in of a police officer mm. from out of town. Even just the conversation initially about, well, we don't have a regular police officer here locally. I mean, we just don't have the population to warrant that. Um, and so then the, this this other officer comes in from out of town, and then Maurice is it Maurice um, mm -hmm. just is smitten with her and, and can't believe how much um, he likes her. And so he keeps trying to find a way to, to start a relationship with her throughout the rest of the episode. And she is completely uninterested, but um, <laughs> it's, <yeah. laughs> but, but it's not on his end for lack of trying that he, he keeps making these overtures. Like he has a weightlifting set in his house and she's like, um, real uh into fitness and so she sees that and she's like oh and she starts lifting weights and he <laughs> he irons her uniform <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, um, yeah there, there's so, yeah, there's but, so um, much there um about individual humans desires and okay what will officer yes. samansky be about talk about perfect casting by the way this this lady says spot on and all oh, her mm. her big thing okay the weights yeah 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 and um one of you had mentioned earlier about the characters out of character you know for maurice to be the submissive um is certainly probably the only consistent character in this episode would be officer samansky you know uh, oh, uh what's your first name yeah. officer samansky officer <laughs> <laughs> He just doesn't break character. Uh, I like how he prefaces that, you know, Officer Zemanski sure is a mouthful. What's your first thing? <laughs> well, yeah. it, it, her role in the episode is pretty large because then there's that whole plot with Hauling wanting to fight someone. Mm -hmm. He's just feeling this urge, a strong urge to fight and nobody will engage with him. Like he's doing all these rude things to his customers, oh, trying to initiate fights. Nobody will take the bait. And then finally it's officer Samansky who steps up and will a box, take, have a boxing match with all these. So, uh, yeah. And I, I, yeah. Oh, please. Yeah. Sorry. I, 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 before we get too far away from this, I wanted to say, I, I like how they prefaced um, bringing officer Samansky in, in the first place where, um, Joel was so unhappy that his radio got stolen. And Mar Maurice actually brought up a very good point, one that makes sense. You know, if you invite law enforcement into your neighborhood, in your community, then you also invite crime as well. And, you know, and, and Maurice said, you know, apart from this one time every year, you know, basically Sicily is crime free. And then, then when... Maurice barges into the um into the brick and because something of his has been stolen and then Joel makes the 
um, the comment, you know, how does it feel when the shoe's on the other foot? And Maurice will have nothing of it, um, of that. And then he, you know, tugs a few strings, as he says, to to get some, um, to get Officer Szymanski. And yeah, at, at first I always thought um, that Maurice, maybe he's kind of, not deviating too far from from his character, but it's true as the episode goes on, he does get more and more docile in a way. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, even he has that little speech where he says, you know, you know, Barbara, you make me feel safe, you know, and I want to give the controls over to you. And then you realize, whoa, this is really not like the Maurice that we expect and know. But um, yeah, and then the hauling part, I, I that slipped my mind just a tiny bit, um, how he's, trying to get everyone to fight him and um and i think we talked about the episode with the birding where he no longer he's you know he's not into hunting anymore he's more into taking photographs and um and i like the one person that i'm not sure if he poured milk on him or stomped on his foot or gave him the wrong food or something and and the guy said i haven't met my insurance deductible this year (laughs) And then even Maurice, even Maurice warns um, some Officer Szymanski, you know, watch out for hauling, you know, he's really got a long, and so we get the impression that even at his age, he still is a rough and tough guy who can hold his own. And um, it's it's funny to see how how this um, uh, weather or the the change in the season is is uh, changing. People as well, although I feel that maybe you know, I think that I think that Ed or Marilyn um, made the comment that that this really kind of only affects white people. Um, but I I still feel like maybe Chris is a very steady character. Um, that that maybe his thievery um, and and like his philosophical bent of um, you know you have to do something wild to remind yourself that, that you know, we're not, we shouldn't get too cozy. I, I, I think that maybe that's kind of in line. I can see Chris on another day saying that as well. Um, so I think that maybe he's the most used to, and maybe the one who looks forward to the most to spring of, of all the, you know, the, the white people in the show as, as, as Marilyn or Ed said, I put it, but, um, and then of course I love Ed trying to solve the case at the same time that Officer Szymanski is trying to solve the case, <laughs> they're both asking all these questions and he's like using street terms and she's like, and who are you? <laughs> and he's like, oh, I'm Ed. I'm also trying to break this case open. <laughs> Does she tell him to leave it to the professionals or something? <laughs> yeah, leave it to I the think professionals. So. Yeah. <laughs> Barney, that's a good point about Chris being the the you know, his level of consistency and um, Maurice true in the beginning. Maurice reminded me of the uh, the kid in school or um, the person you worked with who thought the pranks were absolutely hilarious when done to everyone else. (laughs) And then when I've I've been pranked, this is a whole nother matter. And uh, we need to get serious about this. (laughs) Very true. I'm in a boom box, you know. Come on, Maurice. <laughs> I know. I know. I love it. I know. I know. It's funny that they, they chose to take well, consistent with you know electronics and that, but to, to take something mm. uh so inexpensive for Maurice when I he's know. got a gold mine. 
inside his cabin. Oh man. Mm. And I, I'm not sure if it was Maurice or one of the other characters who mentioned that, that it wasn't so much of the thing that got stolen, but, but like the, the fact that something was stolen, that is kind of in invading their, the sanctity of yeah. their, their home or yeah, something. Their space, and, yeah. yeah that, that's a good point. Mm -hmm. It's interesting when Holling is fighting um, there at the end during the boxing match. And then in the middle of it, this uh, event happens where the, I guess the official transition of spring is, is there and the release of that, the ice um, and then Holling all of a sudden doesn't want to fight anymore. <laughs> He's like, I it's almost like he, he wasn't even aware of his, of where he was. He was confused. He's like, I don't want to fight a woman or something like that. And then she knocks him out. <laughs> mm -hmm. But um, it's, it's interesting that they made that so deliberate that the moment it happens, everybody kind of shifts back to their, their normal selves. So that was kind of fun. So that could maybe, that could maybe lead to um, one of your questions, Barney, about, how does how do the seasons affect us? I mean, obviously that's a dramatic moment where almost robotically everyone transitions into what they used to be. Those those that were affected. Um, how do you how do you guys? I mean, we're coming out of winter, um, not necessarily mm -hmm. planned uh, by choosing this episode, Barney. But we're we're virtually at the same place, albeit not in in such harsh conditions but we're coming out of the the winter in the northern hemisphere yeah i i i think kind of thinking about the question um it made me think of of especially when i was um younger how how i always really look for looked forward to spring and um and especially in in ohio where uh, where i where i grew up um where it was a kind of a nice rural area where you could really, you could smell, you know, I don't know if it's the, the verdue is the right term, but you could really smell that spring is coming and there was just something in the air that, um, yeah, it, I wonder if compared with transitions to any other season, it kind of feels like, um, same with this episode, there's something really charged in there about when spring is on the way and, and I think especially in, in Ohio more so than, than here in Japan, um, it, it's it's a pretty significant shift from, from, from all that time of cold and snow and, um, you know, it being so dark when you wake up and the sun going down so early and sleet and, you know, sloshy sidewalks and wearing long coats and boots and all you know scraping windshields and all of the slipping and sliding while you're driving let alone walking and then suddenly spring is is here and you know the birds are back and you if you don't notice right away then then the trees are are in are starting to put out leaves and you miss the buds arriving and i i wonder and it really that season especially i think seems to kind of really have a, an effect on 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 us normal non-tv people as well i think how, how did you how do you feel with your own experiences one story that comes to mind for me is how powerful the coming of spring was to bring hope and a sense of renewal and freshness during the time of the pandemic 
I remember it hit in March and um, it was so heavy and we were all very isolated. But I remember that spring, since I was home a lot, um, just with family, we, we took lots of walks because that was one of the few things you could do. And just as the signs of spring came, I remember that it was so encouraging. And so what we ended up doing is we invited people at the church to start sharing photos from their own nature walks or their yards or um, just things that they saw that spring. And so people sent in pictures of flowers. Uh, your dad, Barney, sent in a picture of some birds by the bird feeder. Mm. And um, there were just a lot of really interesting pictures of, of trees and of, of the land. And um, it was very special. And I remember we would circulate those photos with our church publications. And it was just um, the spring that year in particular was just such a sign of hope. And, you know, talking about craziness, um, I mean, COVID had this effect on all of us that was so um, heavy and hard. So to have spring alleviate some of that was um, was very powerful. Um, another thought I had, and I don't know if this is a connector with your experience at all, Barney, but I remember I went to a reception for international students and their host families at the College of Worcester. And there was a student there from Japan talking about her experience of the seasons. And she was talking about vivid colors that she associates with the different seasons in Japan. And she was talking about, you know, the, the pink of the cherry blossoms and spring, and then the, the red that you see in, um, in the fall. And she went through the whole year that way, talking about how vivid the colors are to her when she was back home. And she was saying, while well, she's in Ohio, you know, there, are, there is a sense of the colors too, but she missed some of the, the hues and things that she saw back home. So I don't know, do you feel that there is a certain unique color palette uh, to life in Japan surrounding the seasons that's a little distinct from here in the US or? Yeah, when when February is coming to an end and the, the plum trees start to blossom and and it's and it's a, a purple or or a dark pink and then the the peach trees are blossoming as well and they have a nice really rich um pinkish red to them and then and then of course everyone really I I I, I think they shouldn't be I think they should get more attention than what they do and definitely don't need to be overlooked because I I really love the the plum blossoms but of course when the cherry blossoms come out then then I think it's um in the past, not as much anymore, and certainly not this year, but in the past, that's usually when the weather is that that is starting to get very nice during the days too. And it's and it's easy to be outside and there's it's the chill has gone. But this year the, the chill has been gone for quite a while already. Um but um yeah, so I think it's the 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 beauty of the cherry blossoms with um wonderful weather and then of course the sense that the cherry blossoms are are a little fleeting and um compared with the other trees you know their petals do release quite quite easily with with a nice wind and then seeing the cherry blossoms float through the um uh through you know through uh, along in the air as well it, it really there is something pretty magical about that and um yeah and then yeah in fall too um but uh in in Ohio and then in, in the northern area of of the U.S. and North America, the, you know, there's such wonderful fall colors um, as well. That I think that that kind of the area that that I live in that definitely tops where we are. But I think 
um, northern Japan probably is, is equally um, wonderful in the fall. Yeah. I wanted to thank you for sharing that, Barney. That is so interesting. And I kind of wanted to ask Ken, now that you live in a, even a more uh, open nature area, um, does it feel any different when spring comes since you have a like a little bit more property now and maybe you're more there's more required in terms of like being out and doing projects in the yard or I didn't know if that if, hmm. um, if you notice spring differently now that you've moved. Um, interesting question, Jacob. I'm going to say not as much as I thought maybe um, because living in Worcester with you down the street, um, at least for me, Angie, my wife may see it a little differently because she's she's more in tune to the the rebirth of, of nature and living things. But I, I still looked for the daffodils in Worcester, just like they're popping right now. Um, one thing I'll say different down here now that we've become acquainted with what goes on in and amongst this town, um, this Saturday, they have down here what's called the migration sensation. And uh, it it is with the advent of let's leave COVID behind. Um, it is a it is a town event. And then there, you know, there's a map where you can go out to some of the uh, local wetlands. And uh, there will be a lot of birds passing through. And uh, for her and I, that's very exciting. Um, also, culturally, you know, which we wouldn't see in Worcester, um, we will see a lot of Amish folks um, with their scopes and their binoculars and um, their cameras and just lined up along the road that passes by this one particular wetland. And so I, I can feel that becoming um, a rite of spring for us, that that moment. And, and Jacob, while you were talking, I, I was I was um, sent back in time probably 20, 30 years ago when I was teaching and I was deeply into running after school every day um, with one particular guy. The, the earmarks of spring were so distinct because we did run all winter unless it got uh, dreadfully cold. Um, one way we would head out from school down a road, um, we started looking for the buckets on the maple trees. And there's, there's the hope of spring now that the sap is running. Um, I was never a big fan of NASCAR, uh, but my running mate was. And the fact that the, the first race of the season is the biggest race of the season, the Daytona 500, always in February, there's a hint of spring. And being a longtime baseball fan, when I would see in the paper or on the news that the trucks were being loaded in Cleveland, to go to Florida at the time and, and now Arizona, those were, you know, those little sparks of um, life being renewed. And, and I'll add a, a serious note to this, if I could. Um, spring is that dramatic. And both of my parents passed in the winter. Barney, I know your mom and Jacob, I don't, I don't remember the months of, of your parents um, leaving this life, but you know, there can be a heaviness, um that you look for those those earmarks of spring to to lighten the lighten the burden a bit Barney were there any other questions that you had prepared for us today that you want us to explore um i not not that i um especially remember at the moment but um one 
one question I guess I have for both of you um, from the show, and it's something that I I never noticed until I watched the um, the the scene like the 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 um, the cut cut scenes that were on the DVD. Mm. Um, it's the the scene where um, Ed Ed says, you know, we've got to find you. You know, Joel says, I I I need somebody have a relationship to, you know, start a relationship with. And Ed says, well, I, I can introduce you to someone and, and he's doubtful. And then, then there's the scene with the igloo and the woman is, um, you know, chipping ice for a root beer from the side of the igloo. Um, did you, and then Ed, uh, Joel says, don't you think she looks like Maggie? And I thought it was a completely different actor the whole time. I had no idea it was Janine Turner. It was the actor who plays Maggie in a wig. Did you guys notice that the first time or so? I I agree with. Uh, I thought it was Demi Moore too. As as uh, was it Ed that said that or no? It was Joel because he didn't recognize her as Maggie. Oh, yeah. No, no, it yeah. was Ed. Ed. I thought it was Demi Moore. No. I didn't know it was her until they <laughs> shot it a little closer and from a different angle. Jacob, same. I didn't know it was her either. Yes, mm -hmm. I wondered who is that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she's yeah, and she I, says you look like a chipmunk. Chipmunk. <laughs> I know that, and then Ed Ed translates oh. it, it. It's it's a pass. It's a pass. <laughs> he's, yeah. he's, it's a pass. He's very gentle. You know. Oh. Um. Yeah, but yeah, I didn't notice that. And then in the deleted scenes, that's what that's what I was thinking of. Um, Maggie is actually working with a language coach, trying to get the phrase exactly right. So she is trying to really speak in genuine clinket there, and asking to have it repeated. And then I never guessed that that was her. Wow. But um, of um, and I, I can talk about some other things, but of. It, within the episode, maybe here's one more question I have. Within the episode, you know, a lot of it is focused on spring fever and people acting differently. And I just have to say, I love how everyone brought lasagna, except for Joel, <laughs> to that kind of potluck thing. But um, it, as much as the episode focuses on spring fever, what I'm curious about your opinions. What do you think is the real focus of the episode? Do you think that the real focus of the episode is is what we see, spring fever, or is it what Chris mentions um, about needing to remember that we all kind of have this wild side in us, and and that that you know nature is out there lurking? What when you think about the episode, which do you think is the more the 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 theft and the the unpredictability of life or or just the, the ice breaking and all of these tensions and everyone acting um, wacky. What, what do you think the real focus of, of the episode is? I'm curious. Can you remind me of the title, Barney, of this episode? Oh, it's um, Spring Break. Spring Break. Oh, okay. Yeah, it feels like there's often like a major narrative thread but it's expressed in different um, storylines. Uh, it's hard though, because sometimes the show, there are different competing philosophies, you know? So Chris definitely, I think you're right. It's consistent with his character, probably in other episodes too. He would be more for a free spirited, open approach to life, which is at odds with some of the other characters approaches. Um, but I think you're, 
I think you're the way you describe Chris's uh, viewpoint. I, I think that might be the main way of framing the episode is that there is this wild side to people. And um, yeah, whether it's through, through certain events in nature or certain life circumstances that it can come out at times. And I guess how we process that as human beings and how much we are open to or resist and want to separate ourselves from it can be healthy or unhealthy. Because I guess I, I get, I'm not a psychologist, but I, I'm guessing for some people, if they deny, sometimes if they push even harder against an inner part of their personality, it, it's, it like manifests even more powerfully. So I don't know if there's a sense in which by embracing a little bit of feeling that act outside of their normal range that, that actually in the long run is healthier. I don't know, but I think you're, I think it's Chris's monologue that, that really sets the tone. That's my own take, but um, what do you think, Ken? Yeah, I think that element is certainly, certainly uh, in there. I, I think I still see also, I think I mentioned the word desires before, a kind of a wants versus needs aspect to the episode. Joel thinks he knows what he really wants, and that's relations with a woman. Um, and okay, Maurice, we can tell Maurice is desperately wanting to have um, some sort of meaningful relationship with another another human being. Um, Maggie, um, and for our viewers, she this is before um, her boyfriend Rick's demise. She mm -hmm. still has Rick, um, but she still is having these um, these moments of um, what do I really want here? And is it just my desires taking over? And um, and, or is it just the, the wildness that uh, Chris in the morning is describing? Uh, you know, those those three people seem so torn. And and that is not across the board, certainly, because, uh, uh, you know, as we have said, Chris remains fairly consistent. Ed, um, Ed is not part and parcel to, to any of this. So that, that's that's the take I got. That's a good point, Ken. That is definitely present in the story. And I kind of wonder, I don't know if this is in the episode or not, but is there any value judgment placed on Chris stealing the radios? Like, does the show, I don't know that the show ever really wants to lead us to a certain point of view, like morally speaking, but um, like we would often say, you know, you might have a thought to do something mischievous, but it doesn't mean that you should act on it. <laughs> you know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? Like, like sometimes you can say, oh, there's that thought, but I'm not going to fall through that. But Chris like acts on it. Is there any like moral point of view of his action in the show? I wasn't picking it up, but I don't know if, if either of you noticed that. In in a way, it's interesting how Ed, Ed reacts to Chris. Um, for Ed, it was just fun to try and figure out who was stealing these things. And and then Chris even says to him, you know, he puts up his hands, he says, well, you know, you caught me red-handed, now what are you gonna do? And and it's like the furthest thing from Ed's mind to think that he should, you know, pursue any legal course, you know, or, or any kind of punishment associated with this. He just, maybe he just chalked it up to the season or, or not, or or maybe he, he felt that that uh, such a sense of satisfaction from from 
engaging with this, um, you know, wildness and danger and lurking, you know, lurking outside, you know, whatever it was that, that he thought that's, that's all that there needed to be. And I don't know, maybe in a way, um, you know, we see Officer Szymanski, who is, you know, really by the book, everything is black and white. But then we see probably the main characters thinking, well, maybe, maybe sometimes it really is okay to embrace the wild side in a way like this. And, and um, yeah, I, 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 I liked that, that sense that, um, that Ed didn't think that Chris, you know, that maybe this is Chris being Chris and maybe he's really teaching us a bigger lesson. And, um, and I, I mentioned this all the way back when we first talked about Northern Exposure, where um, I don't know if we actually will probably will watch this episode because it has a lot of other good things in it. But when Chris is on trial, trying to be extradited back to um, West Virginia, <laughs> Ed, Ed is a character witness on the stand and Ed, Ed comes back to this very episode and he points out that, you know, <laughs> trying to get the judge to, you know, think that Chris is this important person in the community and <laughs> goes and says, and then one time Chris stole all of these things <laughs> and he, he did it to remind us, you know, that, that, you know, the, the wild, the wild nature is out there and, and to, to be alive. And, and then Chris's lawyer just puts his head down as in the whole thing is blown. But then, Chris looks at Ed and he he gives him, you know, this really thumbs up of approval. <laughs> it's like, you got it. You understood what I was trying to tell you. <laughs> uh, oh, my. Uh, we might be remiss uh, not to leave this point if you have further comments. Um, what do you guys make of bringing in the Robert Palmer famous video of Simply Irresistible? <laughs> I understand for Joel, yes, that that's a valid dream because Joel sees himself that way. But are they just just having fun sitting around the script table, going, "Here's a moment." <laughs> they were so true to the video, and then to have the female people talk, mm. brilliant, <laughs> just brilliant. Yeah. I, how does that fit? How does Shelley? How does Shelley fit with? Um, right trying to go the intellectual reader route for D.H. Lawrence and missing the point of the book entirely. <laughs> yeah. Cause knowing Shelley's character, you would think that this is, this is her really her time to shine. Mm -hmm. And and then she's com completely opposite, you know, <laughs> wanting to be studious and, and, you know, she's dressing down and having her hair up and putting glasses on and reading and, oh. and, um, yeah, but yeah, Northern Exposure, you know, the reason why it it's not on any of the streaming services is because there's there's I they've really made a name for themselves as, as Ken talked about at the beginning of the show, how well they integrate all this different music um to fit the show and, and always the soundtrack for each episode is just perfect. And then yeah, just taking that song and then making it even better by having the women be a you know be more than just something to look at, but having personalities and speaking and, um, you know, being free with themselves as well, you know, not just there to be dancing in the background for something to look at, but, um, 
yeah, boy, they just took it a step further and made it even better. I love that. Are there any other questions or thoughts that either of you have related to the topic before we close today? We would like to thank you for um, watching along and listening along. And um, if you are watching, um, I will I will show you something that my my dad picked up oh. at um, MCC Connections oh. of all places, a Northern Exposure um, sweatshirt. And it just goes to show that, as Jacob told us earlier today, that that these um, maybe he can do a little show and tell as wow. well. Complete seasons one through five, Northern Exposure from the Mission Thrift Store in Orville. Right. Um, I got all of those for $17. That's amazing. Clearly, I've got to get the, out to the the, uh, the mission stores more frequently and keep my eyes open. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so these things are out there. And, um, you know, we always invite you to to maybe um, watch, re-watch, the, listen to us and then watch the episode again and now, you know, maybe Northern Exposure is not on streaming, but it's available. You can find it um, out there. And and we hope that you'll agree with us that um, as much as Ken and I have watched this show so many times and Jacob is watching it and enjoying it for the first time, that um, we hope that you're, if you're not a fan, you will become a fan. And um, listening to us before and then after the episode will, will make some sense and give you some things to think about, about the show itself. And maybe, who knows, you know, about... Um, life and about um, things going on around you. We are very thankful, as always, Jacob and I are, that Ken can join us today and are looking forward to the next episode when we'll be back. And we hope that um, you, as well as together with us, are looking forward to our next episode as well. And we thank you very much, and we'll see you then. <laughs>